We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 tonight, starting in verse 40. Uh, this will be our text. I'm excited to read it with you and open it up together. It goes like this. It says, Now his parents, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. We're officially in the season of Advent tonight. Um, interestingly enough, we finished this, these, the stories of Jesus' childhood tonight as we start Advent, which is a great irony, but it's the way it works out when you preach through the Bible. But we're going to look in to this great story um, tonight. Luke, who wrote this gospel, he's unique in his, in his writings because he went to specific sources to gain and to collect these stories about Jesus. Stories that were true, stories that people witnessed happened. And, and many believe that in his interviewing of people that he actually interviewed the mother of Jesus, Mary, to gain insight into Jesus' life. And that's why there's this unique aspect to the beginning of Luke's Gospels because he's, he's learning these things from Mary who lived with Jesus. And tonight's story is a story that could only come from a parent. It's only a story that a mom or dad could tell. Luke is, is his, as the gospel is unfolding here, Luke is, is writing and making it clear that the history and redemption of the whole world rests on the existence of this child. And I imagine him sitting with Mary and she goes, well, one time we lost him. I love it. It's only, the only kind of story that a, that a parent could tell. And each family has an epic story of, of a lost child, right? Right, an epic story of, of, of like, where, where's the kid? As, at a young age, I was lost at Disneyland. I was three or four years old, wandering aimlessly around Treasure Island, totally aloof. I, don't, I didn't know I was lost, I don't think. So I just, I don't, I don't have any trauma from it. I just sort of was just cruising around. But my parents, who are here, they know every detail. They could probably tell you every second of that frantic search for their lost son. And, and this, is, this is the kind of story that we see Jesus in tonight. This is the kind of, of scene that, that Luke sets. It's frantic parents looking for their son. I think of this as the gospel's version of the movie Home Alone. 
right? It has all of the same elements. I mean, you, you, know, you know the story, right? It's, it's, it's uh, like, do you remember the scene, Catherine O'Hara, Kevin McAllister's mom, do you know what I'm talking about? She's on the plane. Like the story is that they're, this large extended family is traveling to Paris for, for Christmas and they oversleep their alarms in the morning and they're frantically running through the airport. Do you see it? You know what I'm talking about? They're running through the airport and they finally all get on the plane and they sit down and the mom has this moment. You know what I'm talking about? Like her eyes are closed and her eyes jet open. She goes, Kevin! She screams it out. I think this is, this is like Mary's version of that. She's walking on the road back to Jerusalem and she's like, Jesus, you know, it's just like, like this moment of, and parents, parents know what this is like. I know what this is like. I can't blame my parents for losing me. The, the most common asked question in my house is, where is Nash? Like nobody ever knows where he is and he's never doing the right thing. You know, so we, we, we're, it's so common. It's so, it's such a human story. And, and Luke for I think some pretty amazing reasons invites us into it. So the scene, as, as we read, as we just heard, is the family, Jesus's family, they've traveled to Jerusalem for the yearly Passover festival. And we'll come back a little bit later to the meaning of Passover because it's significant in this story. But Jesus's family was a, they were a pious family. They, they valued these these. Um, festivals that were integral to the story of their faith and their heritage as God's people. And so they prioritized going to them. And it wasn't easy. It was, it was really hard for poor people to, to attend these things. And Jesus's family was poor and it was a long journey. And, um, but they made the trek from little old Nazareth to Jerusalem. And, and in, in traveling to these festivals, um, Families would travel with other families. Like communities would, would take the trip together to ensure safety and protection. Uh, so they'd travel in these large groups. And inevitably, when a large group is traveling, people get split up. Uh, maybe the, the, the moms and the wives are, are walking up ahead and the dads are, are behind or the kids are kind of playing as they, as they walk the road back home after the festival. And... At some point, they realize that Jesus is not there because these kinds of things happen, right? This is, this is life. This is a real story. And they, they realize that he's not there, and they've been traveling for a whole day before they realize that he's not there. So you can imagine some of you uh, married folks with kids, the marital strife that is, that is unfolding in these moments did you see, did, you said you saw him. You said he was with the neighbors. I mean, can you imagine? I just, as I read this story, I can't help but imagine the look that Mary gives Joseph. You know what I mean? She's like, this is on you. And so they, they, they feel this frenzy, this, this need to find him. It overwhelms them, but they're a whole day's journey away from Jerusalem. And so they leave the group and, and head back into Jerusalem. It's, an, it's a whole day to get to Jerusalem. And then they spend an entire day looking for him in Jerusalem. And the story tells us that it's three days total that Jesus is unaccounted for. And so where do they find him? 
Where are they actually going to find Jesus? I mean, the fear is that they're not going to find him. The fear is that he's in a ditch somewhere. Their, their fear is just ruling their minds, but they, they show up and he's in the temple. Our story tells us that he's in the temple learning and asking questions and, 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 and he's listening to these teachers of the law. And, you know, so the parents, my, my guess is when they show up, the, the first feeling is this intense feeling of relief and joy that moves very quickly to anger and wrath. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, they're like, we're so glad you're here and now we're going to kill you. You know, it's like, it's, it's, I felt that, you know, as a parent, that, that sense of relief. But then it's like, I need to tell you what's wrong about what you just did. And so she does. That's actually what happens. In verse 48, we hear Mary's response. After three days, their child unaccounted for. These are her words, she says. Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. What she's saying, she says, we thought we lost you. What are you doing and Jesus is like, I don't know, it's been three days. I'm just, you know, hanging out in the temple, nerding out over the Bible. And this is the scene. This is the story. This, this is the, the interaction, this very human interaction that sets up the very first words that we ever get from Jesus in the whole Bible. This is the, this is the scene. This is the setup. So far in the, in the Gospel of Luke, we've heard angels speak about Jesus. We've heard prophets talk about him. We've heard relatives make comments about him. Jesus' mother Mary has sung this song about him, but we haven't heard anything from him. And that's what sets up his first words, is Jesus in the Gospel version of home alone. And here's what he says. This is what he says. He says to them in verse 49, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Jesus's first words in the gospel, his first words in the scriptures, which all point to him, his first words is him confronting his parents Whoever's listening, and I believe very much us as well, he's confronting us with his growing sense of identity and calling. If you like sermon titles, we'll, we'll go with that tonight. Identity and calling. Jesus, in, these, in this statement that he makes, is saying something about who he is and what he's supposed to do. And that statement rules his life all throughout the gospel stories. Who he is and what he's supposed to do. Tonight I want to I talk about those two themes of identity and calling. And we'll start with the identity of Jesus for a little bit. Who actually was Jesus? In this series, we've been, as we've been walking through Luke, we've been looking into the incarnation, which is the mystery of the Son of God, the second member of the divine trinity taking on human flesh. Born into a broken world to redeem it, to reconcile people to God 
through his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. In Jesus, I want you to listen to this. In Jesus, there is a true union of deity and humanity. He's fully human and fully divine. It's a mystery, admittedly hard to wrap our minds around, but it is the story that the Gospels and really all of the Bible tells us. And so Jesus, in his very first words to his mom, who's, I think, rightfully angry at him, says, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? His first statement centers around this idea of who his real father is. He's referring to God. Jesus' first statements are about his true identity. His mom says, hey, son, we were worried sick. And Jesus goes, oh, I was with my real dad. What, in the Gospels, can you imagine Joseph in this moment? Like, the guy gets like no credit hardly at all in the Bible. And, and, and they, they show up and then Jesus is like, well, I was, you know, my real father. And it's Jesus, he's making a statement about his sense of identity. The first thing you need to know about me is that God is my father, that I am God's son. And that's how he opens his words to humanity, is that. So there's a struggle here. There's a, there's a struggle here as Jesus declares his identity He's declaring it, and, and it, there's a challenge here because we don't get this as much, but Jesus is in a, an entirely different culture than, than we're in. We're in a culture that has the supreme value as self-fulfillment and self-discovery. It's the individual, but Jesus lived and grew up in a culture that had a huge emphasis on family particularly around who your father actually is. And, and Jesus is making this statement about his divinity, about his true father being God himself. And so he says this to his parents. He says, didn't you know? Mary, did you know? I'm kidding. The answer is that she kind of did. If you look back to Luke 135, this, this, is, this is what was revealed to Mary. In Luke verses 1, 35, do we have that? It says, and the angel answered her. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, Mom, do you remember what was told to you? That I would actually be the Son of God, but it, even still, Jesus, even though Mary has this information, she has this insight into who he would be, she's confused. She's confounded. How can this actually be? She's in process as it relates to her understanding of who Jesus is, which is why I think in verse 50, it very simply says, they didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them. That might be the most common used phrase throughout the Gospels about Jesus. They didn't understand what he was talking about. They didn't understand who he was saying that he actually is. 
And the gospel stories is this unveiling of people, they're experiencing Jesus and they're figuring out who he is. But tonight, what we're actually going to look at, I want you to think deeply about this tonight. Tonight, we are invited into Jesus's growing understanding of who he is and what he's calling to do, what he's called to do. We are invited into Jesus's growing understanding of his identity and calling. See, it's a mistake to think that Jesus was born like a divine robot baby. You know what I'm saying? Like he just totally knew everything, like everything right away. His first words were, I am the Messiah. Like we, we think of him in that way at times, but that's not the story that the gospels give us. They give us the story of the mystery of the incarnation of Jesus, fully God and fully man, but they show us him growing into that awareness. This story that we're in tonight is, it's in what's called an inclusio. And what that means is that there's two verses that bookend this passage. And, and the verses are verses 40 and verses 52. Now here's what they say. In verse 40 of chapter 2, it says, The child grew, it's talking about Jesus, and he became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. That's actually the verse that leads us into it. The Greek literally tells us that Jesus was being filled with wisdom. He was being filled with wisdom. What is this saying? It's saying that there was a process of of awareness of an understanding of who he actually was. And then our passage tonight ends with verse 52, which says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God in man. That word increase, that that idea of growth, is a real part of Jesus' life. It's a part of his existence. It's a part of his growing up. It actually happened. And so what we have is we have this mystery that we're invited into to look at tonight. Jesus at this point is 12 years old. He's right at the edge of, of, of manhood. For, for Jewish boys, when they turned 13, they became responsible to keep the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord was the instruction of God that was given to his people, that it was a marker for them to understand who God was and who he was calling them to be as a light for the whole world. And when a Jewish boy turned 13, the collective family would say, you're responsible to follow God now. You're called to do that. And so here's Jesus. He's on the edge of manhood. And what is he doing? He's growing. He's learning. Where's he at? He's in the temple where they teach and, and, and preach the law of the Lord. Jesus is in the temple and it says that he's learning. It says that he's asking questions. Did you notice that? As it describes these events, it says he's, he's, he's actually learning things. He's actually asking questions and he's giving his insight into them. What an amazing, what an amazing thing. What a great mystery. Jesus stays behind because he's discovering more of who he is. He's discovering more of, of how God has uniquely brought him to earth to live and be a certain kind of person. 
Sometimes people talk about this passage as if Jesus has taken over the temple. Like people often, like the image that we get is that Jesus is like behind the pulpit and he's preaching and he's 12 and he's telling you, you don't know what you're talking about and you don't know anything. But Jesus is, the image that this text makes really clear is that Jesus is there to learn. And he's so immersed in learning that three days go by. His parents are, are freaking out. And Jesus is having Bible study. <laughs> and I love that. I love that truth about him because he is discovering as the scripts are open more of who he is. You know, the gospel of Luke is going to end with Jesus after he rises from the dead, talking to a couple of guys, telling them how all of the Bible was pointing to him. And he saw that. He learned that. Here he is in, in the temple, and, and, and this, this is um, part of his, his growing understanding of his identity. Fully God, fully man. And so he grows. He grows in his identity. And then there's this calling of Jesus. I think we could, I think it could be said, said that no person in all of history had a greater sense of their calling than Jesus. Is there a person who lived with more conviction, with more awareness of what they were actually supposed to do? And so when I talk about calling, I mean that Jesus, he increased in his knowledge of who he was, but they also increased in his understanding of what he was supposed to do, his calling. God had a plan for him. And it's confusing to the people around him. His parents are like, what are you talking about? And so Jesus says in verse 49, he says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? So this, this statement, this question that Jesus says is, I think at one, in, in some instances he's saying, something true about his identity because he refers to God as his father, but it also speaks to his sense of calling, his sense of what he was supposed to do. The literal translation of the phrase in my father's house is, it says, is, he says, it, we have it translated as in my father's house, but it actually says in the dot, dot, dot of my father. Like when you read it in the Greek, it's sort of like, what? So I'm, it's not surprising that his parents are confused by what he's saying. And so some translators have made the case that because he's in the temple, he must be talking about his father's house. He must be making statements about where he's supposed to be. He's, he's at the temple. This is, the temple is the, is the symbol of, of God's presence. It's the place where people studied to learn and to know more about God. It, it's, it signifies the place where God actually is. And so people have translated this passage to say, Jesus is saying, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? In other translations, if you have older translations, some of them say that Jesus is saying, shouldn't you have known that I was about my father's business? And so some have translated it to say, this is about the things that Jesus is doing. But I think what's happening is probably to some degree a little bit of both. Jesus is saying to his parents, you should have known that I would be where God is, doing the things that God does. I mean, what an, what an epic statement to your parents when they're chewing you out. Well, you should have known I'd be where God is, 
doing the things that God does. What is he talking about? He's talking about his calling. He's talking about this growing sense of what his mission is. And he's pursuing that. Because his identity shapes calling. This is true of Jesus, but this is true of us as well. You, when you know who you are, you realize what you're supposed to do. Identity shapes calling, and it's true of Jesus. And so Jesus, part of one of his primary, one of the primary callings in his life was as a teacher. And so as a teacher, he spent much of his ministry um, preaching and, and revealing the things of God to people. He's asking tons of questions. This is the way that people would teach in this culture is they would ask questions. And so what do we have from Jesus? Right off the bat, we have him asking questions. His parents come in all hot, total a mess. And he goes, well, why were you looking for me? Because <laughs> it's the way teachers would teach in this time. They would ask questions and draw people into something. And Jesus' question draws his parents and whoever's listening into this amazing reality of who he is and what he's called to do. And he's beginning to say to people, do you see it? Do you see who I am? Do you see what I'm called to do? It says, Mary, it says later on that Mary began to ponder all these things in her heart. He's saying, don't, don't you remember what the angel told you about me? And in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to lift up these truths about Jesus. His identity, the Son of God, fully God, fully man. We're going to lift up the things that he, that he does, his calling, his mission in the world. But I think that tonight, and, and kind of how, where I want to land the plane with this, with this text, is that I think that Jesus teaches us something about identity and calling and what it means in our lives. Jesus reveals something to us about what it's like to grow in your understanding of who you are and what you're supposed to do. So the first thing I want to say tonight to you, to us, is that identity awakens calling. I want you to think about that in your life. Identity awakens calling. Now, many people in our world, they live in a sense of despair. They don't have direction in their life. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. And how often is it because they don't know who they are? They don't know who God has actually said they are. So what God says to you and to me is he says that we're made in his image. God says that you have been uniquely and wonderfully made. God says that your sins have been forgiven in Christ. God says that in Christ you are a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. God says that you have an eternal hope that extends far past this life. God says that he has given you passions and giftings that can be used for his glory in the service of others. Much of the problem in our lives, our sense of directionlessness, is that we don't know who we are. But Jesus knew who he was. And that awareness was growing. And it sent him further into his calling. So identity awakens calling. 
The second thing I want to say is that if Jesus had to grow, then so do you. It's this, this, this is a profound mystery that in the sovereign plan of God and in the confounding life of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, fully God and fully man, he grew. He increased in wisdom. And if it's true of him, then it, and it's true of us. So don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged when you feel like you haven't arrived yet. Jesus grew. And so we should expect to have to grow as well. We should expect to have to grow in our sense of who we are. We should expect to have to grow in our sense and awareness of, of what we're called to do. But I love this, this passage that Jesus is pursuing it. He's, he's in the temple. He's, his, he's in the scriptures. He's, he's beginning to see things. He's pouring his life into learning and understanding the ways of God. Because he, his job was to reveal that. And so he, in his early life, we don't get a lot of information on ages 0 to 29 of Jesus, but we have this picture of his commitment to grow and to learn, to discover more of God's truth. What would that look like in your life this next week or in these next years to pursue growth and understanding who you are in Christ and who he's calling you to be? So the question is, are you filling your mind with God's truth so that you can see that. And the third thing that Jesus shows us, and I think this is really important, is that Jesus models the tension of living under human and divine authority. He shows us that in this story, which may sound weird, but, but when we look at this story, Jesus has this intense sense of what his identity is. He's God's son. And he knows that. And he knows what his calling is to be. That's the savior of the world. God has a plan for him that is shaped around who, who he is. But here in our story, we have mom and dad running up to him saying, hey, you're our son too. And that's the tension, isn't it, of this story? That mom and dad, are they've got claims on Jesus but Jesus is aware and increasingly more aware of God's claims on his life. There's this word in, uh, this phrase in, in, in Jesus' statement to his parents that um, it is necessary. Luke uses that all over the gospel to, to, to proclaim more boldly God's sovereign plan in the world that's being revealed. And Jesus is aware of God's plan in his life, what God is calling him to do, but there's tension because his parents are like, what are you doing, son? It's time to go home. And, and, and the thing that's so amazing about Jesus is he's got all this clarity. He has all this authority. He has all of this sense of who he is and what he's called to do. He could have used that authority over his parents, but it tells us in verse 51 it says very simply that he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. So he had 
maybe every right to say, actually, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to hang out here in the temple for the next 20 years and build a name for myself. But no, he submits to them and he goes back to obscurity and little old Nazareth. And we know basically nothing of the next 18 years of his life. Isn't that amazing? Jesus lives in that tension. And it's the tension that we live in as well. When we, when we grow in our sense of, of who we are in Christ, of what he's calling us to do, we have to live that out in this, act, in this broken world. We have to live it out so often under the authority of, of these different things in our lives. What does it look like to follow Jesus as a student? When you answer to the authority of a teacher and an administration, what does it look like to follow Jesus as an employee under the authority of someone else? That's the tension that Jesus shows us in this, passion, in this, in this passage. But what I love about Jesus is that his growing sense of identity and calling actually makes him more humble. It doesn't, he's not cavalier. He actually increases in wisdom, but expresses that through humility and invites us to do the same. I see so many people who, they have the sense of who they are, and so then they, they just shun every form of human authority. But no, God told me to do this, get out of my way. But Jesus knows exactly what God has called him to do, and even still, he humbles himself. And he invites us to do the same. So consider those things. That identity awakens calling. That there's this need to grow in our sense of that. And also, that there's going to be tension around that. As we see who God's calling us to be, and we live that out in a broken world, we have to increase in wisdom. We have to increase in understanding of, of how to live. And Jesus shows us the way. And so we follow him, and our eyes are on him. And that's what he's calling us to tonight. I want to say one more thing about Jesus before we, before, we, before we worship. And I want to talk about responding to Jesus. I've given you some things to consider tonight in your own life. But Jesus is always calling us to a response. And tonight I think that perhaps the best response would be to come to the table of communion. We mentioned earlier in the story that this, this whole story, all these events took place around the Passover festival. Now, the Passover was the most important festival of the year for God's people. It was a remembrance, a celebration of God's redemptive power that freed the people of Israel from Egypt, from oppression, from slavery. So in this divine act of of justice and mercy, the Israelites were called to put blood of a lamb over their doors. And God would, would see that and pass over them in mercy as he acted in judgment against Egypt. It was the blood of the lamb that was spread out over the door that was a sign that these people were God's people. And that's, that's the festival that is happening in this story. So surely 
because God had called his people to remember this each year. Surely when Jesus is in the temple and he's talking with the teachers of the law, what are, what are they opening up to? They're opening up to the story of the Exodus. They're beginning to see and, re- and remember together. This is what God did. This is how he saved us. This is how he redeemed us. This is how he, he set us free from slavery. And what I think is happening is I think Jesus is seeing his life through that. I think that Jesus is seeing, I'm the Passover lamb. Jesus' awareness of who he is is calling him to see that it's actually his blood that would be spilled. It's actually his body that would be given for the redemption, for the freedom, the reconciliation and salvation of people. Jesus is seeing an even greater redemption than the Exodus, and it centers in on him and his life. And Luke includes these types of details because he's giving us a grand story. You know, 20 or so years later after this story, Jesus will be in the temple again, teaching and preaching during the Passover week. And this will lead to his death and his crucifixion where his blood is poured out and his body is given for salvation. And Luke is, he's, he's pointing us to this. Jesus' death, his crucifixion, and, and for three days, his followers will, will believe that he's lost. But in three days, he'll rise again in power and salvation and in redemption. And what will he do is he will give all those who follow him a new identity and a new calling that we're invited into to participate in, to worship him for tonight. And so come to the table tonight in remembrance of who Jesus is and what he's done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your your truth that you've given us tonight. We pray, Lord, that it would fill our hearts. We ask you, God, that you will continue to reveal your son to us. His life and the meaning of that, his death and his resurrection and all that that means. Because, Lord, we we want to see Jesus clearly. And we want to see our whole lives wrapped up in his. And so, God, we thank you that, that you have done great things in us and for us. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to come to believe that more fully, step into that, to embrace that, God, we need you. And we need to see you tonight. And so we thank you for your revelation and your truth, Lord. And we come to the table tonight in remembrance. In your name we pray. Amen.